Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Thank you for being here. What a good day it is, isn't it? All right. Open your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. We're going to be in a couple different scriptures, but this is where we're going to focus most of our time. Matthew, chapter 20. So if you have kids, then you have heard this statement. That's not fair. That's right. Kids are always worried about fairness, aren't they? And uh, you know this because if you have uh, a Christmas and you happen to buy gifts for your kids, what do you do as a parent while you're buying gifts? You count, right? And you keep a tally. Now, if you have one kid, this is not your problem. You know, but if you have more than one kid, two kids is, it gets more difficult. If you have four or five or six kids, it's really, really tough. Because here's the thing. You only have this much money anyway, so you've got to whittle it down. And as a parent, you feel incredibly... Um, um, responsible to make it what? Fair. And really what we're saying is we want it to be equal. And so you keep a list of, okay, I bought these gifts and it's this much money, but this one looks like a more expensive gift, so maybe I can add a little. Y'all know that stress, right? You've done that, right? So um, when kids are dividing things like chores, what are they looking for? Fairness. They They don't want to do more than their brother or their sister. And so some chores carry more weight than others, right? Like two, it's two chores to one when it comes to washing the dishes. Like I hate washing dishes with a passion. That's why we had kids. We had three of them. They each get a week. It's part of the deal. Um, but, but there's something like cleaning the bathroom. Like in our house, there is serious negotiation when it comes to cleaning the bathroom. It's like, okay, I'll clean the bathroom if you'll do everything else. We have a teenage boy in our house. That should be enough said, right? So, so here's the thing. We're looking for fairness. In fact, fairness is such an issue with kids and families. Here's, here's a trick. I don't know where I learned it, but if you don't know this and you have kids, this, this will help you. Okay, this is worth coming. So if, if there's one piece of cheesecake left, first off, the kids don't get the cheesecake. You get the cheesecake. But if you've already had your cheesecake, which is why there's one piece left, and the kids want to share it, The best way I've found to do it is this. One of them gets to split it. The other gets first choice. That will ensure that it is always evenly split. How many of y'all knew that? Huh? It works every time. And man, it's like a, it's like a scientific measurement with the kid that's splitting. He's like, I know I better get this right because if I don't, I'm going to get gypped. I'm going to get, I'm going to get, um, uh, uh, I was looking for another word. I, uh, anyways, uh, I was so I'm gonna I'm gonna get the the short end of the stick. That's what I'm trying to say. And so they're gonna they're gonna make it fair. But you know, it's not just kids that deal with fairness. Honestly, it's it's adults too. Now in college, there was a little bit of a feeling of unfairness because I was not the studier. I'm an oratory and a visual learner, and so I don't have to. I didn't have to study quite as much to, to make a, a good grade. Other people who are really special and close to me had to study like crazy. And when we took the same class and we both got the same grade, there was a little bit of a little bit of unfairness going on, right? How many of y'all have been on one side or the other of that? Let me see your hands. 
Okay, those who raise your hands are probably the ones who had to study the hardest, right? How many of you had to study like a dog, and if you got the same grade as somebody who just went in and took the test on the fly, it made you angry, right? Yeah, and, and that's because there's an internal sense of fairness inside of us. By the way, this is a gift. This is a, a good thing. God put this inside of us because it, it's part of who he is. He's a God of justice. He's a God of rightness, and so we are made in his image, and so that's part of who we are. However, we also sometimes look at fairness to a fault. And what I mean by that is this. We, like so many biblical characters, feel like or accuse God of being unfair. In the scripture, we have countless stories of men and women who felt like God was not being fair. One of them was Elijah or Elijah. By the way, you know how I know the difference between Elijah and Elisha? Which one comes first? Easy trick. How many of y'all ever get that confused? J comes before S. You'll never forget it again. Run through the alphabet. Elijah was first. Elisha was second. J and then S. There you go. Free. See, you're getting all kinds of good tips today. So uh, Elijah felt that there was an unfairness going on. Why? Because Jezebel was chasing him, and, and he was under a tree, and he was complaining to God, oh, I wish that I were never born. He was, he was, he was wrestling with a sense of, of unfairness. Um, what about David? Did David ever feel like there was an unfairness going on? Yeah, sure he did. He felt it was unfair because all he ever did was, was serve Saul, and when he was treating him right, and Saul was persecuting um, David. And so Saul was trying to take David's life. And David was thinking, man, why? we see that in his Psalms, don't we? Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, we see this. And so there's this internal sense of fairness. What about Job? Job's friends told him, look, you need to just curse God and die. This is not fair. Now, I can understand a little bit of bad stuff happening to you. But man, you have had so much bad happen to you that it, it is you've just got the short end of the stick. Man, God is definitely not fair. In fact, I like the way God puts it to Job. He says, stand up and face me like a man. Anytime God says that to you, you're in trouble. Okay? I mean, when I, it's like your dad. If you had a dad like mine, or actually it's like your mom. When your mom uses your middle name... You know you've, you've, she's had it up to here, right? And you've, you've crossed that line, right? This fairness issue is all throughout our life. It's all throughout Scripture. But I suspect that somebody in this place today is struggling with the fairness of God in your own life. And I don't know exactly how it plays out for you, but it could be like this. It could be that you're looking at somebody else and you're going, why is God blessing them so much? How come their life is so easy? How come, how come they're having all the cool God stories? How come they're, they're worshiping so easily and it's hard for me? And we're looking around and we're going, Lord, I just, I just don't feel like this is a fair deal. I just feel like, Lord, I've been trying and I've been wrestling. And I've, been, I've, been, I've been doing the best I can, but it's just, it's just not fair. And the accusation is not against the world and the accusation is not even against the other people. Really, ultimately, in our heart of hearts, the accusation is against God. Now, I want you to know that God's a... You, this is a language, but God, God is a big boy, right? He can handle your objections to Him. In fact, I think He would much rather us say it than pretend like it doesn't exist. Don't you agree? I think He would much rather us face Him like a man, so to speak. 
God, this is the way I feel. In fact, I have found in my own life that when I tell God what's really going on inside, I hear two things. One, I hear, well, I could have told you that, right? Because God knows the deepest, darkest desires of our heart. But the second thing is, okay, now that you admit it, let's deal with it. Sometimes it's not till we verbalize what's actually going on. The wrestling that we're dealing with, can. it's not until we do that that God can actually say, okay, let's deal with it. Let's get to the root of it. Let's fix this and make it whole. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable that deals with the fairness of God. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1, says this. I'll let you turn there. Really, it's just a ploy so I can get a drink. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire his workers for the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent... Um, and sent them out to his vineyard. And about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went and he went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came, those who were hired for, excuse me. So when those who came, Those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now this parable actually follows a rabbinic pattern of teaching to where Jesus is telling a parable to emphasize or, or bring a greater meaning or deeper, a deeper point to something he already said. So in chapter 19, the last verse is this. Many who, will be fir- many who are last will be first and many who are first will be last. So, so it's bookended by this statement. So this is the statement that the parable is about. The first will be last and the last will be first. Now, for us who have seen this all of our life, we tend to believe that this is what this means. I knew that what that meant in my head perfectly. It was totally clear. Here's what we think that means. We think it means that in order for us to be first, we have to be last. So we have to do everything we can to be last so that eventually God will place us first. And so we're looking at this on a linear scale, right? The first is going to be last and the last is going to be first. That's the wrong way to look at it. It's not linear. It's circular. The first is last and the last is first. What ultimately this is teaching is the equality in the kingdom of God. It's teaching that in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he doesn't have 
favorite children and least favorite children. He doesn't have more important children and less important children. He doesn't have more valuable and least valuable. I, I have heard before people talk about these um, uh, high power, not high power, that's the wrong word, high profile pastors and stuff that all oh, they're God's, they're God's choicest servants. But I think we get it wrong when we say that. Here's why. God doesn't look at his children and say, you know what? I really think that they're a lot more valuable than this one over here. Why do we, why do we believe that to be true? We believe that to, why do we think that, that God has a hierarchy of who's important and who's not? Because we look at it through human eyes saying what they've done is more important than what they've done. But you tell me who the most important evangelist is. Is it uh, Billy Graham? Or is it D.L. Moody? Or is it Billy Sunday? Or is it Mordecai Ham? Now, if you know church history, you know that all of those guys are connected. And you know that each of them had an influence in their own way. And each of them had different sized crowds. But for us to look at them and go, okay, most important, next important, we're missing God's whole perspective. In God's perspective, it's his kingdom. And because it's his kingdom, he puts people where he wants them to be. And if God puts somebody in a very high place and then somebody else in a very low place, it's not because one's more valuable and one is less valuable. It's because that's the place that God has for them. Y'all catching this? When it comes to the church, here's what we do. We say, look, the preacher's more important than somebody who washes the dishes. But that's wrong. We say somebody who's on stage has more value to the church than somebody who's just doing security. Just doing security. The sound guy has more value than somebody who's handing out breath mints. No, I tell you, the breath mint guy is probably the most valuable person in the whole place. Amen? <laughs> Breathe on the person next to you and you'll, let, let, you'll hear an amen, right? So, so we have this hierarchy of value and hierarchy of importance within the church, but we also have it within the kingdom of God. And what this does is it gets us all worked up and we get, and it gets our eyes on the wrong prize. In this parable, Jesus begins. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out into his vineyard. A parable is a, is a, it's an earthly story to explain a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And so in this story, the landowner is God. And the landowner has a vineyard. Now, in biblical times, anytime they talked about a vineyard, they usually, that was usually related to this is Israel. But this is bigger than that because it's talking the kingdom of heaven, right? So the kingdom of heaven has a landowner. This vineyard has a harvest that needs to come out. And so the landowner goes to the marketplace at 6 in the morning. Now, here, here's the deal with that. In, in, in Old Testament times, and actually in countries even today, the, the marketplace, town square, is a big deal. That's where you would go to gather. That's where you would find your, your goods, and, and that's where you'd get, your, you'd get your services done. And that's where you'd go to hang out to find a job. We don't have marketplaces. We have labor finders. Right? Have y'all ever worked at Labor Finders? Can I see? Can I? Nobody else? Okay, so when I was in seminary, uh, our first year, uh, we were dirt poor, like literally broke. And so um, when we came back to Pensacola, went to seminary in New Orleans, came back to Pensacola over Christmas, and we had about three weeks or so of just being here with family. And so I wasn't about to just sit at the house all day. I mean, I had to make some money because we had to go back and pay bills at school. 
So the only job I could think to get was to go to Labor Finders. Labor Finders is, is a temporary work um, company. You go there it, early in the morning, like 6 a.m., and you sign your name on a, on, a, on a paper, and it gets your information, and they basically say, well, we have these jobs available. Which one would you want? Well, I just wanted a job, and so I took the first one they said, which happened to be construction worker at Perdido Key. It was December, and it's about 40 degrees outside. Now, I didn't really think about this very well. I'm thinking, oh, it's not too bad. Imagine being on the fifth or sixth floor of a condo with no walls, no windows, on the beach in December with 40 degrees outside. The wind was whipping through. I remember it being bitterly cold. All day long for an entire week, I walked around as basically a dust bunny. I, I, picked, I, I, I picked up trash behind workers. And, and I did that because I needed a job. I needed a job, so I went to labor finders. That's what Jesus, or excuse me, that's, that's what his parable was talking about. He went to labor finders and found some guys needing a job. And he made a deal with them. The Bible says that in this deal, he said, I have a vineyard and I need a day's labor. And if you'll work for me, I'll give you a denarius. They shook hands, didn't sign a contract because shaking hands was enough. And then they went on their way. Now, what time was that 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 happened? It was 6 a.m. It's right there, right? 6 a.m. That's the first hour. Anytime you look in the Bible and it says at the first hour, that's what it means. So at the third hour would be what time? Would be 9 in the morning. That's right. At the third hour, the owner, the vineyard comes, or the, the, the vineyard owner comes back to the marketplace. And he says, uh, you guys looking for a job? Yeah, yeah, man, we, we, we missed the first chicken bus, so can, can we get a bus? Can, can, we, can we get on your bus? Those who went to Guatemala get that, don't they? Oh, chicken buses. If you've never been on a chicken bus, you haven't lived. You haven't lived. So at 9 o'clock, he, they said, yeah, and here's, here's the deal he made with them. I will pay you what is right. They said, okay, sure, great, we'll do it. So he took them on his bus to the vineyard. And so you have the guys at 6 that have already been working for three hours. Then you have the next guys at 8 that started working. And then the Bible story says that he went back multiple more times. He went back at noon. He went back at 3. And then he went back at 5. Now, interestingly enough, the crowd at 5 o'clock hanging out looking for a job were the bottom of the barrel. They, they were not your super skill. Now, none of the people that were looking for a job would have been skilled. Because if you were skilled, you'd already have a job. You wouldn't have to go to the marketplace to have somebody hire you for pennies a day. But at 5 o'clock particularly, these are the ones who, who perhaps were, were lame. These are the ones that perhaps had, had some issue, infirmity. They had some, something going on. And he went through and said, hey, how, how come you guys are just standing around? And their answer was, nobody will hire us. He said, well, come on. You want a job? I'll hire you. So they hobbled along behind him and went to the vineyard. At 6 o'clock, the foreman went over, grabbed the rooster's tail, went, right? I know how old you are. And I know how old you aren't. How many of y'all got that, right? Wasn't that a great show? Give me one phrase out of that. Yeah, but never do. Wilma. So at, at six o'clock, it's time to it's time to cut it out. For those of you who are, do y'all know Friends Flintstones, right? 
Okay, this crowd over here is like, huh? They just think I'm crazy. It's 6 o'clock. He gathers the whole group up. Now, this is the parable still. He gathers the whole group up. They come together, and the foreman begins to pay. He goes to the ones who were hired last to begin. He says, okay, guys, you were hired last, so you've worked a solid hour. Here's a denarius. Now, for working an hour, getting a full wage for an entire day, these guys were dancing. I mean, there was some sort of happy dance going on, I promise. I mean, they were... They were sing- They would have been excited because they didn't deserve a full day's pay because they only worked an hour. And so they were just, whoo-hoo, right? I mean, they were getting all over it. And then the next guys who started at 3 o'clock, they got paid a denarius. And, and as they went down the line, the guys who were hired first were starting to think to themselves, man, this guy's generous. This means... I'm doing the math. We should get 12 times as much. Because looking at the math, we work 12 times as hard from 6 until 6. So, man, we're going to get 12 denarius. The foreman gets all the way down to the last, to the first guy's hired. And he goes, hired you at 6 o'clock, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We've been working all day. Well, consequently, this was not easy work. Vineyard work is not easy work. When it's time to harvest the grapes... You, you sometimes have a very shortened window based on weather. And that shortened window means that you work nonstop like a dog. So their hands probably were stained with the grapes and their, 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 their clothes would have been dirt. Because it, it's not inside air conditioned sitting at a desk work. It's hard, brutal labor. They paid a price. It was harsh. So they hold their hand out. Their hearts pop, you know, beating a little bit faster. They're thinking to themselves, here we go, here we go. And one coin. Would have been this puzzled look. Inside, they would have started to burn with anger, jealousy. Starting to, to breathe a little heavier, noticing that they got paid for working all day what he got paid for working one hour. And that isn't fair. It's not fair. So how many of y'all in this point of the story can identify with this? How many of y'all can identify going, you know what, I'd have been mad too. Anybody? Come on, be honest. I would have been upset. I would have looked at this situation if I were there and I'd have said, you know what? Those six o'clock guys had a right to be angry. And they did. If they were looking the wrong direction. See, what was going on here is these workers were not looking to the boss. They were looking at the people next to them. You want to know why we struggle with fairness so much? I think anyways. Because we base fairness on what we see with our eyes and what we perceive with our eyes in other people. We're basing, we're judging the character of God by how other people appear to be being blessed, be, being spiritual or whatever. And because we're looking at them and going, this is not fair. And we're forgetting what we have in front of us is truly a gift. Does this make sense? And so the, the first point I want to show you here is this. If we judge 
the character of God by the wrong standard, we are going to be disappointed every single time. And we're going to be on an emotional roller coaster that will never bring peace. You know, not too long ago, I was building a certain part of my house, and um, I, I don't remember exactly what, I was, what part of it I was building, but I remember um, I needed my four-foot level. For those of you who build, you know what a four-foot level is. It's a four-foot uh, straight edge, and it's got a little bubble on, on the inside. And so there's a, a piece about this big with fluid in it, and there's a little bit of air, and then there's a line that makes the center. So if you hold it this way, the line goes up, and if you hold it this way, or the bubble goes up, and if you hold it this way, the bubble goes that way. When it's level, hence the name a level, the bubble is in the middle of the two lines, right? So I was building, and I was using my level, and, and I, I started, and, I, and as I continued to add pieces, I noticed that, yeah, you know, you ever notice how when you look at something to see if it's straight, you kind of get unstraight? I don't know why we do that, do you? So I was kind of kind of going like this, and I was looking around, I was going, man, that, that, looks, that looks off. So I took my level, no, it's perfect. That looks, oh well, so I kept building, and I kept measuring it against the level, and I thought, man, something's really, really wrong, because what I'm seeing doesn't measure up. And then I noticed that my level had a removable center bubble, and it was cocked a little bit. So the standard I was using for level was a broken standard. Because it was a broken standard, it will never be level even though it appears to be level. And here's the point. We judge God's goodness, His fairness. We judge the character and nature of God by what we're seeing in others. And that is a broken level. In fact... What we see with our eyes is a broken level. The only thing we know for certain about God is what He has written in His Word. Everything else that we observe confirms what is written in His Word. You don't know about God's goodness unless you see His goodness here, and then you experience His goodness, which confirms it in His Word. Does that make sense? Here's the deal. Here's why a level standard is so important. Because if we don't have this, then we are basically looking with these. You know what I've noticed? My glasses have really messed up my depth perception. And, and I, I'm not bragging. Okay, I am bragging. But I used to be able to look at something and go, that's the center. And it would be within... Within a quarter of an inch, I could look at a 12-foot room and pick out the center of the room. It was, I don't know how, I just could. When I got these things, man, everything's skewed. And now I'm like, going like this again, right? I don't know why I was telling you that, but there was a point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we don't have, if we don't have a standard that we know is true, that we know is right, then we're forced to look through whatever lens... We look through. And all of us look through a lens. All of us look at God and life through a lens of our own experience. That's why you get so many people thinking God is so many things that He's not. I don't want a God that I've created in my own head. Do you? I don't want a God that can change based on how I'm feeling. I don't want a God that is one way today and then one way, he's a different way tomorrow because I had pizza last night and it gave me funny dreams. I don't want that kind of God. 
<laughs> yeah, it didn't make sense to me either. I was just, uh, I, was, I was reading an article, or I was, uh, I think I was reading, reading, hearing, one or the other, about uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. And if you know anything about Church of Latter-day Saints, the, um, the living prophet of the church is, c- can speak for God. So when he speaks, it's like the Pope speaking ex cathedra from the throne, or from the, is it from the throne, or from... Basically, when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, he's speaking for God. Well, in the Latter-day Saints, when the, the living prophet speaks, he, he is, it's said that he's speaking for God. And, and here's the interesting thing about this article. He's speaking for God and says, God now says that we're no longer to be called Mormons. We're to be called Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he's saying that God said that. What's interesting, though, is... About 20 years ago, he tried to get this change done, but he wasn't the living prophet. He was just a, a, a lower-level leader in the church, and the entire leadership said, no, we're not going to do that. So now that he's the living prophet, God has said this. And here's what he'll say. God changes. What God, what God believed and taught yesterday may not be the same thing that he believes and teaches today. Y'all with me here? This, this is the danger of not having a standard. I don't want a God who changes. I want a God who's, who's the same because there's nothing in the world that is the same except for God. Where's my hope if God changes and if God moves? How do I trust him if I'm not sure that he'll be there tomorrow? In this story, Jesus is saying there is a God who has a kingdom, and it's his kingdom, and he draws the lines, and he has, he's the level, so everything measures against him, not against others, and not against what we see. Perhaps some of us in this room are frustrated with God. Maybe. This is what was going through my mind while we were worshiping. I was thinking to myself, there's somebody in this place who's ready to give up because they've been, they've been working so hard at their faith. That's Problem number one, we'll get to that. But they've been working so hard in their faith and they just feel like they're running in quicksand. They're going, you know what, God? I just, I just, it's not fair. I'm just, I'm done. And the scripture that comes to mind is this, Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good. For you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. It's, a, it's the encouragement to believers to keep on keeping on. So question, are you the one in this room who's ready to give up? Are you the one in this room who's ready to go, you know what? I just just don't see what I'm getting out of this deal. I'm trying so hard and God seems to be so distant. And I'm seeing all these stories and I'm hearing all these things. And it's just not happening to me. There must be something wrong with God or there must be something wrong with me. But either way, I'm out. I want to tell you, don't, don't, don't check out. Here's why. Because God is not fair. He's just. There's a difference. A just God is a God who does what is right always. Now, every one of us in this room want a just judge, don't we? Is there anybody in this room that is okay when a murderer gets off scot-free? Is there anybody in this room where, where 
a pedophile gets to go through the courts and, and, and at the end go, you know what, I, I'm good. Couldn't prove nothing. Is there anybody in this room that would, that would appreciate a judge who says, you know what, I know what the law says, but you know what, let's just forget about it. No. We want justice in our, in our, in our law system. Don't we recognize that we have justice in our God? But here's the thing. God is always just. Hear me say this. Sin is always dealt with. Always. You and I never offend God. We never sin where God doesn't say, I'm going to deal with that. It's not possible. Why? Because he's a just God. Now, how he deals with that is what is so unfair. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that even though we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. The fairness of God is actually the justice of God, but the justice of God was satisfied through the grace of God. When Jesus Christ hung on a cross, He carried the weight of the sin of the world upon His shoulders. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by His stripes... We have found healing. So God is not fair. God's grace is abounding. God's grace is, is, is freely lavished upon us. His goodness is lavished upon us. The fairness of God is the justice of God, but the justice of God has been satisfied through the sacrifice of God. And so when we look at God and say, God, you're just not fair. No, God's not fair. He's good. In fact, I don't think any of us want a fair God. What do you and I really deserve? Well, let's just do it this way. We like justice, right? We want a, we want a justice system where the judge is right and the judge always deals with... How many times have you lied? Do you want the justice of God bore out in your life for every lie you've told? Like, do you want to pay personally for every lie you've ever told? What about, what about thoughts that are unholy thoughts, whether it's lust or anger or any of the... Do you want, do you want God to, to do an eye for an eye, a one for a one with you? Let's just suppose you sin one time a day and that's it. You're really good. So that's 365 sins in a year. Who's got a calculator? After 10 years, that's 3,650 sin, isn't it? Did I do that right? In 10 years, you're almost 4,000 sin. Do you really want a fair God where you pay for every one of those sins? So what if you're, what if you're like me? 45 years old. 
Let's give myself a little, a little goodness when I was young. So let's say I didn't start sinning till I was five. That's not true, but let's just suppose. I've got 40 years of a record racked up. If it's only one sin a day for 365 days a year, who's got a calculator? And, I, and, it's, and it's for 40 years, how many sins am I guilty of? 14,600 sins. Now remember, sin is not just small, it's not just piddly, it's a violation of the holiness of the God of the universe. How much would I have to pay in retribution for 14,600 sins? And I'm only, theoretically, halfway through my life. If I live to be 80, I have, a, I have racked up 30 thousand offenses to God if I only sin once a day. My friends, you and I don't want a fair God. You want a God of mercy and a God of grace. And the God of mercy and the God of grace bore our sin upon His shoulders so that we could have the imputed righteousness of God. That means His righteousness has been given to us. He has transferred that righteousness to us so that we don't stand before him condemned. We stand before him right and holy. That is an amazing concept. So may I suggest to you that as you, as you process how unfair God is, process it by looking at him, not by looking at them. Because if you process his fairness looking at him, it will change everything. Let me do some closing thoughts, if I may. Jesus ended his parable by saying this. He answered them, I am not being unfair. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Here's the deal. They agreed to work for a denarius. That was their agreement. They said yes I will work for that. The only reason they were upset was because they became envious of somebody else. That's it. He says, take your pay and go. If I want to give the one who was hired last the same I gave to you, isn't that my business? You know what? Sometimes we look at bad sinners. You know what I mean by that, right? Those really bad guys. And we're thinking... Man, you don't deserve what God has done for you. Now, let's not raise our hands because we don't want to do that. But in your heart of hearts, how many of you have ever seen somebody who was wicked, who had a total life change, their, their, their life was forgiven, but inside you're like, man, that is so, so unfair. The most vile and the most wicked receives the same amount of grace as you and me. Because the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus said, are you, uh, he said, don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Why are you worried about how God blesses someone else? Why are you worried about how God moves in somebody else? What business is it of yours or mine that somebody else is experiencing God in a way that you and I are not. If they're experiencing God in a way that we're not, our problem is not with them. Our problem is with God. 
And maybe it's not a problem. Maybe God is using that to work in our life in a way that that's the way it has to be. Does this make sense? So instead of being angry at them, stop looking at them. Look at God. And ask the question that Sarah Samuel taught us. Sarah Samuel is Saga's, uh, well, it's not sister, but he calls her sister. She's a friend of ours. She, she called uh, during staff meeting one time and she said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with some sickness and I'm, I, I want to know what the Lord is trying to show me. It was interesting. She didn't ask for healing. She asked for clarification and wisdom. Because she said, you know, if the Lord is trying to show me something and this is the only way for him to get my attention, I am good with that. Let me ask you a question. Are you good with God? If he makes if he causes you to struggle so that you'll so that he'll have your attention. Are you okay with that? Now I'm not saying we sign up for it, right? I'm not saying we go, oh yeah, pick me. But if your struggle brings you into a deeper, closer relationship with Christ Jesus, isn't it worth it? He said, Your problem is that you are envious. Because I am generous. I can only imagine that as Jesus was hanging on the cross. And the, 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 the thief next to him. Who was guilty. Totally guilty. He was on a cross because he, he had. Some of the things. Probably not all the things. But some of the things that he had done. Were, were gruesome enough that he should be. He should pay for them by his, by his life. So the Romans had very strict laws. You can only be crucified for certain things. And it was the highest offense, right? So, so he was guilty. He looks at Jesus and he said, Jesus, listen. I deserve what I'm getting here. That's confession. I acknowledge that my sin, my sin condemns me. But I also acknowledge that you've done nothing wrong. Will you remember me? When you come into your kingdom. It was a recognition of lordship. And Jesus words to him. Were very simple. Today. You will be with me. In paradise. Guys we don't deserve. A God like this. We don't deserve a God who. Throws our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's a phrase that means. They never meet. They're forgotten. We don't deserve a God who says, yes, you are vile, but I have given you a new heart and a new name. We don't deserve a God who has rescued us from the pit. But we have a God who has lavished upon us his grace and his mercy and his love. And what he wants from you in return is not what you're going to do for him. He wants your love. That's it. I think perhaps some of us in this room are stuck at that point. We recognize what God has done. And so we're, we want to we we make sure we, we uh, show him that we appreciate it by what we do. But you know what? When I give my children a gift, I don't want them to repay me in any way. I want them to love me. 
I didn't give them a gift so they would love me. I gave them a gift because I love them. But all I want from them is for them to enjoy the gift and to love me. That's what God wants from you. Amen? So are you trying to earn anything from God? Are you trying to pay Him back? Are you trying to do something with, with, the, ulterior, with, with, the, with the underlying motive of, I have to do this because look what God... Look, stop striving. That's a good word for it. Stop striving so hard and rest in the... You can never earn or deserve it. Love God. But see, here's how that works. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Why? Because your love has that trust in it. You'll only obey God if you trust God. You don't trust God if you don't love God. Because they're connected. This morning, I want to ask you. Are you the one who's ready to give up? Are you the one who's ready to go, you know what? It just isn't working out. Can I just encourage you? God has not abandoned you. Now, God may be trying to speak to you. He may be, he may be distancing himself from or distancing you because he wants you to stop and take notice or listen. But, but it's not a love issue. That's already been settled. If you're the one who's ready to give up, I'm going to ask you this morning just to plant your feet on the truth of God's word and say, you know what, God? I believe who you say you are and I'm not going anywhere. Are you one today who's... who's whose habit is looking at other people and you're unsatisfied in that because you're always looking outward and you're not looking upward. Can I just say to you today, stop looking at everybody else. <laughs> Stay in your lane. Amen. Somebody, somebody, God blesses someone else. Say, thank you, Jesus, for blessing them. Don't criticize them. Don't be ugly. Thank, thank you, God, for blessing them. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to fix my eyes on what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is temporary. This morning, are you measuring with a level that's not level? Come back to this. Father in heaven, I pray that this day would be, a, would be a time of, God, a time of renewal. Lord, I just, I want us to experience the freedom of, of not having to compare ourselves. Lord, to experience the freedom of knowing that you are a generous God. And God, we're not working for you to get something. Father, we're working with you because you're worthy. God, if we got nothing out of the deal at all, you are still worthy. So, Father, I pray that you would crush the pride in our hearts. And I pray that you would root out the envy of your generosity towards others. And Father, I pray that you would restore in us a new heart. Give us a new name. Give us hope. 
through the gospel. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' most wonderful, most incredible name. This morning, let me ask you, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? What you normally hear, I've said it, we've, we've said it so many different times, is if you'll place your faith in Christ, he will, he will forgive you of your sin. He'll give you life here on earth and he'll give you life eternal. And if you'll place your faith in Jesus, you'll have hope and you'll have peace and you'll have joy. Won't you, won't you just try him? I'm not going to do that anymore. All those things are true. He is a God of peace that passes understanding. There is joy like none other. But you know what? I'm going to ask you to follow Jesus simply because he's worthy. He died on a cross. He bore the weight of your sin to give God glory. And you get the benefit of that. Because what gives him the most glory is when his creation honors him and worships him for the God that he really is. I'm calling you to faith in Jesus Christ simply because he's worth it. All those other things are just the added bonus. Will you stand? If there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to invite you to do that today. If you want to trust Christ, I'll help you. Anybody up here will help you. You can do it right where you are. If you want to make this your church home, right here on the card on the side of the bulletin, just mark that. Let us know. Whatever God leads you to do.